Hey guys, what's going on? My name is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. This is the Thrive Bites podcast, and welcome to season five. Here we talk about three things, plant-powered living, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview the most passionate guests here, ranging from physicians to coaches to dietitians to entrepreneurs. And my hope is to give you really informative and high-valued conversations. So please follow us here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and wherever you hear your podcasts. Come on in, and I can't wait to see you inside. Hey guys, what's going on? I'm Colin Zhu, and welcome to episode five of Thrive Bites Podcast. And in this episode, I had the great pleasure of uh, speaking with uh, Paul Shapiro. And this is a very, very interesting um, topic and discussion and episode. And uh, definitely would have gone beyond uh, the length of the episode, um, So, but we had to make it nice and concise. But basically, he is an author. He's a CEO of the Better Me Co., um, he is a four-time uh, TEDx speaker, and he's also a podcast host. And uh, he's a industry leader in food uh, sustainability, um, specifically meat sustainability. And uh, he is making waves with creating a cleaner alternative to meat. And this is such a great topic because um, it not only plagues you know our nation, um, but it is a global um, issue that we have to deal with. So, you know, take the time out um, to listen to the episode. Um, I had a great time uh, with him to discuss and break down these topics and see what is on the horizon uh, for meat sustainability. So you don't want to miss this. Take care. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here. You could have been anywhere in the world, and you've decided to spend just a few moments with us today, and I am super, super, super stoked for you to be on and for our next guest. So just a little bit about him. Um, our next guest's name is Paul Shapiro, and he is the author of the national bestseller, Clean Meat, um, how growing meat without animals will rev revolutionize dinner and the world. And uh, this was published back in 2018. He's also the CEO of the Better Meat Company, which I'm super excited to go into to kind of see, you know, where he's at these days. He is a four-time TEDx speaker, um, which, you know, very, very good, good uh, watches. And he's the host for Business for Good podcast and a longtime leader in food sustainability. And he's been featured on numerous, numerous, you know, news outlets, um, including but not of least Star Talk Radio with Neil deGrasse Tyson, the Rich Roll podcast, and CNN. So, without further ado, please welcome Paul. Hello, <laughs> Colin. Awesome to be with you. Uh, the biggest thing I've been on, I think, is the Chef Doc. So I am psyched to be chatting with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm very flattered. So when, when people find out that you're a doctor, do they start asking you like about their problems? They just start telling you about things that hurt them or whatever. Is that common? For sure, for sure. Okay. I mean, okay. like, <laughs> it's, I just like, wanted, it's, like a, it's like a curbside console all the time. <laughs> I just wanted the license to start telling you about my problems. So can you just pause for a second? I'm going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what is this? What is this growth? Yeah, let me, um, let me show you this. Does this look infected? <laughs> um, no, for sure. I get that all the time. So it just kind of, it kind of just comes with what you sign up with. So it's been fun. Yeah. Um, so number one, Paul, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, I'm super stoked about 
who you are, what you've done over time and what you continue to do and how you're going to show up for the world and serve them. And, you know, it's been great. You know, this is a really, really important topic. Um, and I want to do my best to be able to kind of encompass it. You know, we could, this topic could literally, you can take forever to kind of talk about it. Right. But, you know, want to be able to convey the most important points. So again, thank you for showing up. Where are you calling from, by the way? Greetings from sunny Sacramento, California. I like to call it the capital of the most important state in the country. Um, so I will say it's 73 degrees Fahrenheit today, and we're recording this at the very end of February. So while it is very nice, I don't know if you want it that nice in February. It is California, but still 73 in February. Uh, I don't know. That means that July is going to be pretty bad. Have you always been in California? No, I grew up on the East Coast and um, I moved out here uh, both to uh, start the Better Meat Co., but also to be with my uh, to be with my wife, whose family is from Sacramento. And so nice. I uh, I love being here. It's a great place. And when I look back and talk to my friends who are still living on the East Coast and I uh, hear them like or see them on Facebook complaining about how cold it is, I think, ah, you know, I'm, I'm walking around in a T-shirt in February. That's so bad. Good. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. so bad, you know, so... <laughs> I'm uh, I'm from New Jersey originally, so I oh, totally cool. understand. I totally cool. Where do you live now? Um, I live in Southern California, so not too far, but still far. Not too far, but still far. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're ever up here, Colin, we'd welcome you in uh, in Sacramento. You can come by the Better Meat Co. We'd love to give you a tour and show you what I call the Willy Wonka of meat, how we're turning microbes into meat. It would be a pretty cool experience. So we'd love to have you here. The invite is hereby officially extended. Nice, nice. But you have to print out a golden ticket, though. <laughs> uh, if you need a golden ticket to get you here, Colin, I'll send a golden ticket. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. Um, so I love, you know, for those that don't know about you, um, I love starting from the beginning, the origin story. So my question to you is that, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, food sustainability. Now, specifically, you know, for this episode, we're going to be talking about more meat sustainability. When was the when and where? right? The important W's uh, was the original motivation and inspiration for you to actually go on this path. What was the spark? Uh, I've always, Colin, loved animals. I mean, from a child, it was uh, animals were a real passion of mine. And I remember when I was 13 years old, a friend of mine showed me a videotape about what happens to animals in factory farms and slaughter plants. And I was shocked. I came in mind, there's no YouTube back then. Like he had a VHS tape for those of you who aren't old enough to remember. These are like rectangular pieces of plastic. You put them inside of a little box called a VCR. And it was basically like YouTube. They were the best. <laughs> yes. It's like YouTube, except instead of being able to watch anything for free on streaming at any time, you had to pay for each one of these tapes and you can only watch one thing at a time. But, you know, whatever. Uh, the point is that I watched this video and I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And I thought if those were my dogs in those cages, if they were my dogs who were being hung upside down and slaughtered, there's nothing I wouldn't do to stop that from happening to them. So why should pigs and turkeys and cows and, and chickens have the same abuse inflicted upon them? And so I became a vegetarian at a young age at, at 13, but I didn't uh, know about uh, vegan or anything. I, I just knew that this was something I wanted to do to help prevent animal cruelty. That, that was really what it came down to. And so I wrote letters like what now we would call snail mail back then. We just call it letters uh, to uh, various animal welfare groups and asked them to send me information about what was going on. And they sent me back these uh, packets of information about what I what I thought was vegan. 
as like, you know, you know, these vegans. I was like, what are they, vegan? They meet eggs or dairy. And, I, you know, I thought, well, you know, that's kind of a nice thing. But I, I viewed being what I perceived as a vegan is like uh, kind of like holding your breath. Like you can hold your breath for a certain amount of time, but if you do it too long, you're going to die. And I thought maybe you can go for some time without eating any animal products at all. But if you do it too long, you're probably going to die. So I, I didn't do it. But then I, I started um, within a few weeks uh, after that, I started learning more and more. I met some of these people because I started volunteering at these organizations. And I met them. I learned that they were not vegans. They were vegans. And many of them had been vegan for, for many years. But it wasn't until I read an interview with Carl Lewis. You remember Carl Lewis, Colin? He was a uh, world-renowned track star. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed that you know who he was. He's still alive, but when he was like the Usain Bolt of that era, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, of like the you know the early nineties. I think it was like, was, yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, he was like the early nineties. This dude was like my idol. I had posters of Carl Lewis. I like really worship this guy. He's like the best Olympian. He was American, and I, I loved him. But I read an interview where he talked about how being vegan helped him in his Olympic performances, and I was like. Like not only is people surviving, but like the best athlete in the world, as far as I was concerned, was vegan. And so at that point, I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna become vegan. And so that was in 1993. And um, so nearly 30 years later, I'm still here. I haven't died yet. Mm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, that was the um, that, that's the origin of of how this path began for me. Was a friend showing me a video. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, when you uh, talked about in you know, a VHS, um, you know, I think about all the blockbuster days that I went to, you know, um, all the, you know, blowing on the tapes and everything like that. Did you use your finger or did you put like a quarter or like a coin in to turn it? I, I used my pinky and I would hold my pinky steady while I would actually turn the entire cassette around it. But <laughs> You know, it's funny. I was actually thinking about this, like how I remember when one hour video came out, or excuse me, when one hour photo came out and I was like, wow, we're going to get our photos in one hour. Like I thought like I was living in the Jetsons, you know, the future. And of course, now imagine if it took one minute, you'd be livid. If it took a minute to get your photos, you'd be absolutely livid. Um, And so it's amazing how fast things have changed in just a couple decades and I, I think that similar things will occur in the meat industry as well, which I know we're going to get into. But I actually think that the way that we went from video to like from VHS to streaming and the way that we went to from print photography to digital photography, I think is 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 somewhat comparable to what I think is going to happen with slaughter based meat and you know, animal free meat, honestly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, that's a nice, uh, you know, uh, transfer into the next topic is, you know, one of your uh, TEDx talks, you were, you know, holding up a whale harpoon, you were citing, um, you know, the history of when the, you know, first fridge came out. And, you know, based off of what you just said, it's kind of like, these become more remote memories, right? These become like the new normal, right? And as you were, you know, hopefully alluding to, and hopefully will become our new reality sometime in the near, in the future and you know present, is you know how we treat animals will be a remote you know memory as well. So before we go into that, um, you know, we are facing a huge explosion of you know, meat-based, you know, substitutes and companies and chains and fast food companies are, you know, adopting all this. And, 
you know, I, I can remember maybe like even a decade ago, um, you know, 15 years ago, um, you know, we had different like, like tofurkeys, right? We had, you know, different types of substitute that just wasn't really palatable, right? Even just the thought of the name, you're like, what? <laughs> I'm not even going to go, you know, to me, it almost, it almost it degraded plant-based fare as sort of speak, you know? Um, so people, you know, when the patients, whenever I talk to, they just think of vegan or vegetarian or plant-based as just a salad or rabbit food nowadays, you know? So, um, and in those talks, you talked about actually growing meat. So tell us about that. You know, where is that, where is that in the realm of, you know, plant-based substitutes, you yeah. know, um, because to me, plant-based substitutes, you know, to me is kind of like helping transitioners, people who were heavily, you know, meat eaters kind of transition, trying to fill in that gap of taste and feel going, you know, trying to get towards plant-based, right? But now you're talking about growing meat, right? Like where has that been and where is it going? Yeah, great questions, Colin. So let me just back up a moment and just say, you know, look, I'm vegan. I'd be thrilled for more people to choose vegan eating as well. The sad reality is that despite the fact that there's a lot of interest in plant-based eating, it's obviously very popular, but the sad reality is that meat demand continues rising. It's rising in the United States, it's rising in China, it's rising in India, Brazil, uh, Mexico, all the places going to matter the most meat demand is on the increase, not the decrease. And it's not just increasing because there's more humans on the planet, though that is true as well. It is also on a per person basis going up. In other words, Americans today eat more meat on a per person basis than we have ever eaten in the history of our country. So I would love for people to enjoy bean and rice burritos and lentil soup and hummus and carrots. Those are the foods that I love eating. And I wish more people would be into eating them too. The problem is that people really seem to want to eat meat. It's kind of like I would love for people to walk and bike more rather than drive and fly so much, but mm. people probably want to drive and they want to fly. So in the same way that we need to come up with ways to power cars, for example, that don't use fossil fuels and instead can use renewables, we need to find ways that we can satiate humanity's meat tooth without the need for animals. So again, if I thought that people would be content just eating uh, you know, bean and rice burritos, I would be thrilled. That'd be great. Uh, the sad reality is that humans, a lot of them really seem to want actual meat. And so the question is, how can we, again, satiate humanity's meat tooth without the need to raise animals? In the same way, like, you know, you walk into a room, you flick on a light switch. You're not sitting there thinking, oh, is this coming from coal or is it coming from oil or is it coming from wind or is it coming from solar? Mm -hmm. You just want an illuminated room. That's it. You're mm -hmm. not thinking about anything else. Well, the same is so with meat. When people eat meat, they're not thinking, ah, I'm so glad an animal was slaughtered for this. But the opposite, if they think about that at all, they probably would prefer that an animal not be slaughtered for it. So I think if we can recreate the meat experience without animals, that we can get, do a lot more for animals than simply encouraging people merely just to eat plants, which is a great thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for it. But there does seem to be this innate desire to eat meat that people have, which is why generally people eat about as much meat as they can afford. The reason why meat demand goes up is because incomes go up. 
in the poorer countries, they eat the least meat. In the richest countries, they eat the most meat. And it turns out that as soon as company, excuse, excuse me, as soon as countries start escaping poverty and building a middle class, meat demand starts to skyrocket. Well, mm-hmm. we obviously don't want people to live in poverty. We want people to have good lives and we want them to enjoy the things they want, but without doing so much harm. So then the question that you're really asking, Colin, is how can we do this? How can we recreate the meat experience without animals? There's three ways. One, you can go to the plant kingdom and take peas or soybeans or wheat um, and convert them into things that look like animal meat. That's what companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat are doing. Take Beyond Meat as an example. They uh, buy, they you know, grow a field of peas, harvest that field of peas, mill it into a flour. Then you strip out the fiber, strip out the fat, create a pea protein powder. And then you subject it to something that's called extrusion, which is basically a fancy way of saying high pressure and high heat, which uh, creates a what's called a texturized pea protein isolate. And so you have uh, the hero ingredient of the Beyond Burger as an example. Well, it's a lot to do to make a pea end up looking like beef. It's a lot to do. So if you don't want to go to the plant kingdom, you could go to the animal kingdom and use animal cells rather than animal slaughter. And so that's what's called clean meat or cultivated meat. That's what my book, Clean Meat, is about. And so that's about basically taking animal cells and creating real animal meat without the animal. So not an alternative to meat, not something that tastes like meat, but something that is actual animal meat. And the problem is it's just really expensive to do this. It's not legal to sell it in the United States either, but hopefully that will change soon. But it's going to require many years and hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to scale this industry up to a place where it could actually make a dent in meat consumption. There is a third way. You can go to the plant kingdom, use peas and soybeans and so on. You can go to the animal kingdom and use animal cells. But you can also go to the fungi kingdom. And the fungi kingdom is a different kingdom from plants altogether. Fungi are not plants. They are, in fact, closer to animals than they are to plants. And what my company, The Better Meat Co., does is subject microscopic fungi to a special kind of fermentation where we convert them from their state as a spore into something that really looks like meat, except it's a whole food naturally textured like meat, more protein than eggs, and it's a complete protein, more iron than beef, and it naturally contains vitamin B12 because it's the product of microbial fermentation. So this is a real superfood. We call it Ryza, our mycoprotein that we call Ryza. And we can turn it into steaks and chicken breasts and crab cakes and so on and make really great products. So those are really the three ways. You can go to the plant kingdom and process plants to look like meat. You can go to the animal kingdom and grow animal cells, or you can use microscopic fungi and do really great things, which we at The Better Meat Co. are doing to make whole food meat replacements that are nutritious and really efficient and, of course, don't harm animals. Mm -hmm. Now, you basically like answered my next two questions. (laughs) seems like you've done this before. Um, so there, so going back to the first part where you talked about the impossible foods and the, you know, beyond meat and, you know, this large, you know, process they have to do, you know, you said extrusion, right. Um, and in terms of environmental costs, right, that's part of the sustainability part of it. Uh, we know, and if you would like to, you know, share with our, um, you know, viewers, you know, the, the environmental impact of just the current, agri- you know, the, the, the meat farming, you know, that we're doing, doing right now, how does that compare to what, for example, Beyond Meat and, and Possible Foods in terms of the cost environmentally to create their plant, uh, plant-based fare, um, as well as, you know, what you're doing? Sure. So let me be clear. 
any of these three using plants, using animals, using animal cells, um, or using fungi are superior environmentally to raising animals for food. So you ask about companies like Beyond Meat, even though they're processing these peas, it's still dramatically less land, dramatically less water, drastically fewer greenhouse gas emissions, way less animal suffering. I mean, the, the list goes on and on of ways that this is superior. Raising animals for food is a leading driver of wildlife extinction, climate change, animal cruelty, antibiotic resistance, pandemic risk, and more. Uh, it's really among the worst things that we are doing uh, for ourselves and for the planet and for all the rest of the inhabitants of this. And planet. it doesn't even give us that many calories. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So there's a lot of calories in for very few calories out. We could produce dramatically more food if we ate the food directly rather than feeding it and funneling it through animals. So that's why we are so passionate about fermentation, though, is that we can harness the power of fermentation to create the foods that people crave the meat experience that people want. But instead of doing it with a, uh, a whole animal that you have to feed and raise and slaughter and chop up, we're doing it at the microbial level. And so it's a fantastic food. It tastes phenomenal. People try it, really love it. And the question is, how fast can we scale this up so that we can put this on Walmart shelves and actually make it available to everybody? Yeah, yeah. Speaking on the microbial fermentation, um, how does that compare? So when people think of fermented foods, right, they think of like kimchi, sauerkraut, kefir, yogurt, um, you know, how does what is the process that you implement? And how is that different to our current foods on the market? Yeah, it's very different from those. So um, oftentimes when people think about the F word, they're thinking like fermentation that creates maybe like a sour uh, type taste, or maybe they're thinking about alcohol fermentation. Uh, it's quite different. So if you imagine as an example, Colin, take a cow, a cow eats grass and inside of the cow, there's a fermentation process that occurs. And that grass eventually gets converted into a steak, but it takes a long time for that to happen. You have to feed that cow for well over a year before you end up slaughtering the cow and getting that steak. What we do is we have little tiny microscopic fungi and we feed them. We're not feeding them grass. So we're feeding them things like corn and potatoes. And what they do is just like the cow is using fermentation to create that steak, they are using their own metabolism to change into something that ultimately looks like a steak. And so that is a very different type of fermentation. Like with kimchi, let's say it's a matter of letting it sit for a while and the natural microbes in the air are going to inhabit it and so on. Uh, what we're doing is essentially taking a process that occurs in nature, which is mycelium growing mm -hmm. and uh, mycelium being the root like structure underneath fungi. And we take that process that occurs in nature, we wrap it in stainless steel and allow it to occur in a sterile environment. That enables the mycelium to grow very fast because it doesn't have competition for the food that we're feeding it. And as a result, we can grow our product in a very short time. So again, it takes a cow more than a year of feeding before slaughter, whereas it takes us less than one single day. We've mm. inoculated our fermenter and less than a single day later, we are harvesting it. That's how fast this fermentation occurs. So if you think about what the foods of the future will look like, I think that is going to be it because this is so much more efficient. It's so much more rapid and we can create really wonderful products from it. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
Hey guys, if you are interested in having a consultation with me and actually see me one-on-one, um, the Chef Doc Lifestyle Medicine uh, practice has partnered with Plant-Based Telehealth and uh, we offer uh, lifestyle medicine consultations. So you'll be able to see me one-on-one and uh, I can go over your health history and seeing what we can do to fill in the gaps. Uh, we can talk about your physical health, anything from food to lifestyle to diet to setting up your kitchen to cooking preparation to grocery shopping to your mental health. Um, I think it's important that we build our emotional resilience to talking about your sleep and how to stay hydrated and what are the best uh, medicines if necessary, what are the best supplementations if necessary. And we do all this in a very concise manner and it's a conversation. I take the time out to listen. I take the time out to really understand you from the ground up and to look at all aspects um, of your physical, emotional, and mental health. And um, please, you know, uh, drop me a line, schedule an appointment if you want to see me one-on-one. And um, I am very, very looking forward to learning more about you. And again, thank you so much for visiting uh, here uh, at The Chef Doc. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. In terms of um, cost, in terms of paying, you know, um, I believe on your website, you know, it's uh, cheaper than beef, but you're trying to get to the level of chicken. Um, so how how you know where how do you make it? I guess cheaper or being as competitive as chicken. Great question, Colin. A short answer is going to take a lot. So uh, chicken, the chicken industry is extremely scaled, extremely vertically integrated, and uh, compared to the chicken industry of 100 years ago is extremely efficient. It's not as efficient, for example, as just eating crops directly, of course, but it is compared to 100 years ago, very efficient. And we are still using fungi that are wild harvested. So imagine, uh, take for example, um, if you were going to start your own chicken farm and you wanted to use, um, you know, modern strains of chickens who have been genetically selected to grow to slaughter weight in only 40 days. Then imagine instead you're going to start your own company where you're going to use chickens from 5,000 years ago. And so instead of 40 days, let's say it's 100 days that they take. Needless to say, your product is going to be dramatically more expensive uh, because you're using a, what's essentially an undomesticated animal that hasn't been quote unquote optimized for production. Well, that's the same with us. You know, we're using we're, we're fermenting like wild harvested fungi. And these are they haven't been domesticated. They haven't been taught to grow fast. They what they do is they're, you know, they're basically wild. And so we need to undergo programs where we can create the conditions that will enable them to flourish and grow faster. By doing that, then you can start getting down to the cheapest meat prices out there. Of course, the chicken industry has hundreds of years of research behind it already uh, to get to where they are, whereas we only have a few years. But Colin, we're working on it. <laughs> you got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> yes. Um, so my next question is, is that going back to, you know, the growing of the meats, right? And, you know, I heard you say that, you know, it's a huge cost to it. Um, it does need to scale to be able to reach, you know, the markets and, you know, to the kind of level that we, you know, we want. What do you think 
else needs to happen? You know, do we need like more investors, more funding, or is it, you know, in addition to the cost, we need um, just better facilities and better scientists, you know, working at this. Why do you think it's not happening at a faster rate? Well, it's all the above, but I go a little bit further, Colin, and add one more thing. Think about the race for clean energy. We know what's happened in China, where they have become dominant in lithium-ion battery production. They've become dominant in solar panel production. You know, uh, my wife and I put solar panels on our roof. Well, they're manufactured in China, unsurprisingly, because the Chinese uh, government has heavily invested in a clean energy future that they want to dominate solar panels and lithium batteries and so on. Whereas we in the U.S. just haven't done that. You know, we're still subsidizing fossil fuels. We just haven't really um, put in the kind of investment that China has in, in order to be dominant in the clean energy race. Now, there is a new race, not just for clean energy, but for clean protein. That means animal-free protein. And China is already starting to invest in this. Mm. Um, they consider these alt meats the really part of their food future. Whereas the United States is just barely starting to scratch the surface on this. The United States uh, recently uh, awarded UC Davis in California a $3.5 million grant to study cultivated meat. It awarded Tufts a $10 million grant to do the same. And these may sound like big numbers, but considering the fact that the U.S. government just announced a $1 billion, $1 billion with a B, program to expand the nation's slaughterhouse capacity, you can see like, you know, 10, three, 10 or $3 million, it's, it's just kind of a, a drop in the bucket. It's better than nothing. It's very good. It's worth celebrating, but we need to do more. And the government and other policy make, makers need to incentivize this type of clean protein research and development here in the United States so that we can be leaders. It's bad enough that we're dependent on other countries in Asia to supply us with clean energy. We don't want to be in that position for food of the future either. Mm -hmm, for sure. So it comes down to one word, politics. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or at least policy. That's right. Policy. Yes. Policy mm -hmm. is the more appropriate word. Um, one of your TED Talks you uh, talked about, I, I liked it uh, a lot because Thank it's you. a lot of, a pre, um, you know, prediction, you know, type of like mindset, you know, and do you have children? Uh, I have a dog. I don't know if that counts, but uh, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure your dog wonder. I'm sure your dog wonders about his other, you know. Yes. <laughs> his, I, 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 my wife and I work hard to give him a better life. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> um, so one of your one of your tech talks, you know, um, is pretty much talking about what do future generations, you know, think of our current treatment, you know, of animals. And that was like three, four years ago. And now that we're in the present, um, you know, have we come any closer to just maybe, you know, them saying like, okay, this could be more of a remote, you know, memory at the beginning of our talk, you know, it sounds like numbers stats have increased, you know, per yeah. person per capita. Right. So it doesn't seem like it. Um, are, and are you still hopeful? I guess is the, is the, yeah. is the better question. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Colin, I am eternally hopeful. I do think we should be realistic and recognize that the numbers are not going in the right direction. Many of us in the plant-based space live in this bubble and we see, oh, like there's the KFC Beyond Chicken and there's the Impossible Whopper. And we think like, oh, the world's going vegan. Um, uh, sadly, uh, meat demand is going up, not down. And yeah. so at the same time that we're hearing these great things, if you actually read what's happening in, in the industry, they're building new slaughter plants right now. 
like you would think, oh, well, you know, clearly the future is plant based. Well, the big meat companies are building more slaughterhouses right now. So mm -hmm. they're projecting that demand is going to go up, not down. Now, at the same time, sensitivity to animal welfare is also going up. And we see a lot of progress in things like countries and states legislating against, for example, the use of animal fur, uh, various types of cosmetic testing on animals, various mm. uses of animals for entertainment, like in circuses and in seclariums mm. and so on. And so there really is progress being made to get rid of some of the worst forms of animal cruelty that exist. But when it comes down to the core numbers of animals who humanity is exploiting for various purposes, no, th those are going up. And I believe that there's only really one realistic hope that we have to change that, and that is to create alternatives that are better than and cheaper than the conventional. So if you think about it like this, Colin, you know, you mentioned this harpoon, right? And the reason why we stopped hunting whales for light, you know, we, we all used to use whale oil 150 years ago. And the reason that we stopped wasn't because people were concerned about whales. It was because kerosene was invented and it created a cheaper, cleaner way to light our homes. And it decimated the whaling industry. The whaling industry was a huge part of the American economy. And yet within a couple of decades of kerosene's invention, it was practically a ghost. Similarly, uh, we used to whip horses to get us around. And it was a big concern for animal welfare advocates. Yet we didn't stop whipping horses to get us around because we cared about horses, we stopped because yeah. cars were invented and cars were a better way to transport ourselves. So we stopped exploiting horses. We used to live pluck geese torturously to get quills so that we could write. In fact, Thomas Jefferson was such a prolific letter writer that he had his own personal flock of geese to be plucked for their quills. Mm. Well, we stopped live plucking geese because they cared about geese. They stopped because metal fountain pens were invented and it was a much easier way to write than using a goose's quill. And the list goes on and on and on of areas of animal exploitation that have been ended because of technological innovation. The list of animal exploitative practices that have ended because of humane sentiment is so small. It's vanishing. Mm. But the list that have been mm. ended because of technological innovation can go on and on. And so I really think that if we want to give farm animals a chance of having a future in which, let's say, a slaughterhouse is viewed as archaic as a whaling ship is today, then we need technological innovation to create meat experiences without animals that taste as good, if not better, and are cheaper than the conventional animal slaughter-based meat. You know what? It, it's just sad how you said that, you know, because of the fact that, you know, it's so much work and, you know, and what you're doing is amazing, uh, you know, having that alternative as a technological, you know, advance to kind of replace something. It's just to me, it's just so sad how, you know, in a moment's decision, you could easily just decide not to. Right. Um, and people decide not to for various different reasons, but it's it's the most cost effective way and it's the easiest way right uh and you have to build a company from the ground up just to have a technological advance to replace kind of like the fountain pen to the quill right so mm -hmm. um but yes it's uh I, I i definitely you know feel that and um you know hopefully sooner than later we can have this replacement you know as soon as possible so let's go a little bit more into your company um where is it distributed how is it you know um where is it what markets is it in right now who are you partnering it like is it getting on people's tables yeah so a few things 
Uh, first and foremost, we are what's called a B2B ingredients provider. It's business to business. So we are not selling finished goods that are, you know, you're going to find on the store in, in, in Whole Foods or Walmart or whatever. We're an ingredients provider. So in the same way, let's say Cargill provides pea protein to companies like Beyond Meat, let's say we provide um, our, our mycoproteins to other companies. We are partnered with companies like Hormel Foods and like Purdue Farms. But with our mycelium that we grow and that we offer, we do not have them out on the market. We're, we're selling them right now to companies that are doing product development with them. So nearly all plant-based meat today is made from either wheat, pea, or soy, or some combination of those three crops. Well, we are offering a fourth ingredient, something that is a whole food that's all natural and that is even more meat-like in its texture. And that is the, our mycelium that we call Ryza. And that product is not capable of being produced in large enough quantities that we could you know, put it on Walmart shelves right now. So we offer samples of it essentially to companies so that they can do product development while we are in the midst of planning a full scale commercial operation where we will have a fermenter the size of an office building to have a river of our microprotein flowing through the food industry to help create a greener planet. Animal agriculture is the number one cause of deforestation on the planet. And what we want to do is to help reduce the number of animals used so much that the earth is actually greener from space, that we can reforest much of the planet and have a greener from space earth than we currently have today. So we right now are basically trying to do the technological innovation that allows us to produce the product and scale it up. It's a big difference between being able to produce something at the bench scale and being able to produce it in a full-scale commercial factory. What we at the Better Meat Co. have done is created a pilot-scale plant here in Sacramento, California, where, yes, we might be able to produce thousands of pounds, but we can't produce millions of pounds. That's what we really need to do. So that's what we're working on right now is planning a facility where we can have millions of pounds flowing of our mycelium into the food industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. And I look forward to, you know, when you go to, you know, thousands to million pounds and be able to scale up to what you want, you know, for, for other companies to produce their products, you know? So, you know, I look forward and, you know, I wish, I wish the best for your success and your company. So. We need your wishes, Colin. Keep wishing. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we're going to come to a close. I'm going to ask you a couple uh, last questions is, um, you know, what would you say to our listeners right now that are, you know, in transition, right? They're plant curious. Um, you know, they've kind of dabbled, you know, they kind of haven't, you know, they still have their hesitations. Um, before these alternatives, um, you know, can be full scale, before growing meat becomes, you know, the new norm, right? What would you say that they could do on their own, you know, in their households right now? You know, what can they do like any small step, you know, to go towards, you know, being more plant based, not just for themselves and their families, but, you know, like you said, you know, uh, getting towards a better environmental sustainability footprint? Yeah, a few things. So first, you should celebrate every step that you take. Uh, in the plant-based world, some people, not everybody, but some people have like kind of a puritanical streak where they think it's like all or nothing, you know, and it's not. It's not all or nothing. This is not a religion. This is something that you're doing to try to make the world a better place, to try to improve your own health, to try to reduce your footprint. And so I like to tell people that maybe just start out with a meatless Monday see how it goes. If you like it, maybe you'll move on to a Tofu Tuesday. Or maybe you'll be thinking, you know, you want to do what um, 
cookbook author Mark Bittman does, where he is vegan before 6 p.m., and then after 6 p.m., he eats whatever he wants. Or you can do what I do, which is vegan before 6 p.m. and vegan after 6 p.m. So you can be <laughs> vegan all around the clock, key too. Um, but the point is to celebrate your progress. It is not puritanical. You don't need to try to do everything. So if you slip up or you make a mistake or you go to somebody's party and you eat something that has something, you know, it's not over. You just keep trying and you want to cultivate these habits. So that's one is to celebrate your progress. We want to encourage people to take their first steps, not to punish them for not yet taking mm. their last steps. Mm. And so I always say more plants is better. That's the basic bottom line. More plants is going to be better. Uh, so that's one. Uh, and then the other that I would recommend is to make sure that you are socializing, even if it's only online with other plant-based eaters, because we are social animals. And it's very hard to stand out from the pack. It's very hard to do what's different from all everybody around you. And if you're the only vegetarian or the only vegan or the only reducetarian or whatever you want to call yourself, you're the only one of those in your social circle, it is hard. It's not impossible. you got to have a really big backbone, though, a really strong backbone to withstand that social pressure to conform because all of us are under pressure, whether you like it or not, you are under pressure to conform to your social circle. And so it's helpful to have just a support you know, just to talk to other people, either in real life or online or whatever, just who can be supportive there and who are going through the same thing that you're going through. And they may have tips or suggestions and find a friendly voice who either has been there before or is doing this with you. And you feel like, you know, yeah, you know, it's hard, but I can get through this. And once you've been doing it for a while, it becomes so easy. You don't even think about it. Eventually it becomes so second nature. It's not even comprehensible that you could ever go back. But at first, I'd recommend dipping your toe into the water and finding a, a friend to go into that water with you. Yeah, for sure. Definitely food is better with others. And that is including eating out and including cooking. And, you know, I agree with you. You know, we're so social and especially we're a time like this, you know, being in the era of the pandemic, you know, we need that more than ever. So um, I really appreciate, you know, you sharing those tips. Um, I think uh, a lot of li listeners will resonate with that um, until we see, you know, the full scale of, you know, your company and other companies alike, um, you know, to be able to get us, you know, back on track, so to speak, uh, to healing this planet. So, um, so what, uh, how do people reach out to you, you know, um, that want to learn more about you, you have a book going on, you have your company, what's the best way to reach out to you? It's so kind of you, Colin. So first, if you're interested in my book, it's called Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner in the World. You can buy it anywhere you get books, Amazon or otherwise, or you can go to the book's official website, which is cleanmeat.com. Again, cleanmeat.com. If you're interested in the Better Meat Co., we are hiring and we'd love to hear from you, especially if you have some type of a scientific background, but we're still hunting for other positions. So get in touch with us. Our website is bettermeat.co. Again, that's bettermeat.co. We would love to hear from you. And uh, get involved. We'd love if you're going to be in the Sacramento area, come on by. We'd love to host you and uh, show you how the meat is made. Definitely, definitely. And get that Willy Wonka experience. So <laughs> I, I, I will put on my bow tie for you. Come on out. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Paul. I really, really appreciate it. Again, you know, um, before we came on, I said you're doing an amazing work, and I still mean that. And uh, I wish you the best, you and your team. And, uh, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing. So I really appreciate it. It's very kind of you, Colin. Thanks so much. Thanks for all you're doing to help promote plant-based eating. I'm grateful to you for it. And for all of your listeners out there, you can definitely make your life better. Just eat more plants. It will make a difference for you.
<laughs> well, with that, uh, thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much for watching this episode. If you like this, please like, subscribe, and comment. And if you felt like this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know as, as well. And until then, please say goodbye to Paul. <laughs> Bye, friends. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching that episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you like this, please like, follow, and subscribe. And please follow us for the latest updates for this season, season five. And if you feel that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and YouTube. And thank you so much again. And we will see you on the next one.